May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As important as the Virgin Mary has always been to Roman Catholic spirituality, her stature and reputation soared further during the papacy of John Paul II, who died in 2005. Marian piety was so important to J.P. that for a while he considered naming Mary a co-redemptrix with Jesus. That is to say, in Roman Catholic theology, Mary almost became an equal with Jesus in the crucial work of redeeming the entire world from damnation. That promotion may still happen someday during the administration of a future pope. For centuries, of course, Rome has called Mary a mediatrix. That is to say, the Virgin Mary has the ability to hear the prayers of the faithful and to deliver them personally to God. Like an independent arbitrator between, for example, a professional baseball player and the team ownership at contract time, Mary can mediate that sprawling gap between humanity and divinity. She is, in Roman Catholic theology, almost a fourth person in the Trinity. Although, of course, the phrase fourth person in a Trinity is an oxymoron. Now, Protestants have always been puzzled by this adoration of Mary in Catholic spirituality because Protestants, at least ostensibly, are more grounded in and governed by the Bible than Catholics, who place post-biblical tradition on almost equal footing with the Scripture itself. And so Protestants want to point out that after the Gospel Nativity narratives, Mary almost disappears from the New Testament story. Among the four evangelists, it's St. Luke, of course, who gives her the most ink. Luke mentions her 12 times in his Gospel, but only in the first two chapters. Mary completely disappears from the story when Jesus reaches the age of 12. Matthew mentions her five times, but only once after Jesus reaches the age of two. Mark mentions her twice, but only once by name. John mentions her twice in two very important story, stories, but never by name. St. Paul, who wrote maybe a third of the New Testament, doesn't seem to know her name, or at least not worthy of mention. Still, more than half of the world's Christians practice the adoration of Mary. Here are some of her names. Mother of God. Theotokos, which is Greek for God-bearer. Mary literally birthed God into the world. Queen of Heaven. Notre Dame, Our Lady. Our Lady of Good Counsel, Our Lady of Peace, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow, Our Lady of Perpetual Misery, Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility. I think there's only one of those, and it's in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, but still. Not very often, but occasionally, she is called Our Lady of Joy. During an admittedly not very exhaustive internet search, I found four Roman Catholic parishes called Our Lady of Joy. It's an apt title for her, especially in the story we've just looked at this morning. Here they are, these two pregnant cousins. Mary pregnant with the Christ child and Elizabeth, of course, with John the Baptist. One is 14 and the other is 64. But they're both pregnant for the first time. 
apparently via miraculous divine intervention because the 14-year-old says she's still a virgin. And as for the 64-year-old, well, it has long ceased to be with her after the way of women, as the Bible delicately puts it. And of course, what do you do when you're pregnant for the first time? You run to friends and relatives who are in the same condition to find out what the heck to do next. And so Mary and Elizabeth have this little conversation which is shared by every pregnant woman in the history of the world. They compare girths. They share complaints about morning sickness. They laugh and they cry and they plan for an unknown and terribly fearful future. No ultrasound pictures to share back then, so you do the next best thing. Mary puts her hand on Elizabeth's expanding womb and the child within her leaps, apparently for joy. And then Mary lets loose with the first, the most famous, and the most beloved Christmas carol of them all. It's called the Magnificat for its first word in Latin. Magnify my soul, the Lord, and rejoice my spirit in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. Doesn't she sound like a giddy, ebullient teenager? Can you see her flip her raven hair over her shoulder like only a 14-year-old can do? Can you see her fist bumps with Cousin Elizabeth? Can you hear the shrill shrieks that only a teenage girl can get right? In this story, at least, Mother Mary is Our Lady of Joy indeed. Of course, perhaps she's Our Lady of Joy because she just does not know what's happening next. Luke knows... Luke knows what's happening next because he's writing this after everything goes down. Luke knows about that 100-mile hike from Nazareth to Bethlehem, three days of 10-hour hikes. Luke knows about the no vacancy signs which will greet the young couple when they finally reach their destination. Luke knows about the spare drafty stable that will be her labor and delivery ward. Luke knows she will endure her labor in a cattle stall and lay her firstborn child in a feeding trough. Luke knows that in a moment of forgetfulness, Mother Mary will almost lose her 12-year-old child in a sprawling metropolis. Luke knows that the life of her beloved son will be conflicted and controversial and misunderstood and ultimately very, very short. Mother Mary will outlive her child. And is there a fate worse for any earthly mother than that? And Luke knows that for centuries, Christians will remember Mother Mary as Pieta with her son's bruised, bloody, beaten body in her lap, Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow rather than Our Lady of Joy. A minister friend of mine sent me an email the other day. We served a church together for several years at the beginning of my career, but 25 years ago, I moved away, and she stayed put, so we only hear from her once a year at Christmas time. Today, she makes her living as a family therapist, so she doesn't preach very often. And she wrote me, I'm wondering what I would preach about this Christmas Eve. The slaughter of the innocents continues. I wrote back, are you thinking about 
those Pakistani school children, I asked. 132 dead children. A New York Times reporter on the scene said, Peshawar has become a city of tiny coffins. She responded, yes, I was thinking of Peshawar and of Newtown, Connecticut. For two years, I have not been able to sing a Christmas carol without weeping. Last week for CBS News, Jane Pauley interviewed four of those teachers who were there at Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012, and survived with all of their students. Adam Lanza did most of his damage in two first-grade classrooms. Across the hall, two second-grade teachers locked their doors but heard the whole thing, of course. One said it sounded like the roof was caving in. He fired 154 shots. To the teachers, it seemed to last forever. In reality, it took five minutes. And one of those teachers says, not one of us dove under a desk for cover. We gathered the children in our arms and sang songs and read stories to distract them from what was happening outside the classroom. They reminded me of Mother Mary caring for her eccentric son the best way she could through all the years of his short life. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, sings the Virgin Mary at the beginning of her twisting maternal journey. Luke knows what's coming next for Mary, but he places this boisterous song on Mary's lips at the beginning because Luke knows not only what's happening next, but what's happening at the end. Luke knows about the victory of life over death, of light's defeat of the crushing darkness, resurrection triumph over what had seemed to be the grave's ubiquitous and invincible power. Luke knows a beauty east of the sun and west of the moon, a joy beyond the walls of this world more poignant than grief. And so Mother Mary is Our Lady of Joy, a joy that is not blissfully ignorant of, but resiliently impervious to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that afflict us all. Right now, my beautiful, capable young friends, a new mother and new father, watch and wait fretfully hour by hour, day by day, week by week, over the cribs of their tiny, vulnerable babies. They clutch each other and they hold their babies because they know with the joy of Mary that nothing is impossible with God. Right now, my friend, at the apex of her career, in the bloom of her powers, at what should be the unmitigated happiness of good fortune, faces a frightful medical diagnosis. Right now, a beloved friend and colleague who has, time and time again, by his almost unearthly talent, pierced the dome of the sky to give us an echo of the music of the spheres, wrestles with an ominous illness, and we do not know if he will prevail. 
but we know not only what's happening next, but what's happening at the end. And the end is resurrection. The end is glad reunion. The end is God. Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.